Hello, and welcome to Take Me Through Your Day, a very exciting episode, our season one finale. Um, this is the essentially the co-creator of this podcast. I really spent a lot of time workshopping this with her because I, I was really wanted to do it, and she was excited. Um, she's a sex therapist. We cover a lot of ground in this. It's the first one I really get kind of invasive about background, and um, I really think you'll enjoy it. So, um, without further ado, a sex therapist, and as usual, if you want to get a hold of us, it's at TakeMeTYD on social media, and at TakeMeTYD at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Licensed professional counselor, which people will say LPC. I'm also a certified sex therapist through ASECT, which is the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Um, and I work at a private practice where we treat people with multiple relationship issues. So it could be your individual therapy for relationships with yourself or with anybody around you or couples therapy, anything like that, um, where I am a partner also. So I run the day-to-day operations or help run the day-to-day operations clinically um and then the owner is out in san diego okay so like any given day Mm -hmm. is there like a set like a list of tasks that you have to get into not really administratively we have a practice manager who does who manages all the office managers Mm -hmm. and if there's any clinical issues like so my duty every day is to check my email and just respond to any questions. Um, if the intake person has a question of fit where they have somebody calling in and they don't know who they would fit right with, then she, if she's really good, she knows everybody. We have like 35 clinicians. She knows pretty much who will fit with who. Um, but sometimes she'll contact me and say like, I don't know what to do with this person. Um, cause I'm a, I'm a breast cancer survivor. So for example, yesterday she was, desperately searching to find some a clinician and then she said but this person's a breast cancer survivor and i i'm sorry but i think you're she really needs this you're uniquely qualified and i said of course so i try to make time with survivors all the time but that uh but going back to your question the day-to-day not not very i mean task yes like whoever comes in first of the office has to like open up the office turn on the music because we have like flute music that's supposed to be relaxing my one office we have a waterfall um so doing those kind of things i'm usually the first one in i see people pretty early um but i'm in two offices two days a week at each office so you you kind of all share the responsibilities of the general office yes okay so aside from that let's go Mm -hmm. into just like seeing patients and stuff like that do you handle a certain amount of people a day? Do you kind of just spread things out along your week? or? So I do. I have, I would say on Tuesdays are my busiest day. I work from 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. straight. Wow. So that was yesterday. And I had, I saw every one of my people. Um, I did have actually one cancellation. So I had an hour break, which is, okay, that's you nice. know, I caught up on emails and things like that. Um, but typically every hour of my time is filled because of my specialty. So even if I have a cancellation, like even uh, on Friday, I had a cancellation and I had five people that I texted and instantly got taken. So oh, yeah. I could keep those hours, but we're contractors. So you only get paid for, for what you, you do. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, right, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I want to I want to back up a little bit okay. before we go through your day. Okay. And can you give me just the broad strokes of your background, like from like high school? Did you have in mind what you wanted to do with your life, and then just the path from high school on okay. to, to now? Um, no, I did not really know. I actually didn't even. I only applied at Pitt because my best friend said, "Hey, we're going to Pitt, and we need." A fourth roommate so we can get a suite so you should apply and I was like okay yeah, um, my my mother wanted me to be an x-ray tech she thought that would be a good idea and with my grades I probably would have been appropriate for that I don't even know I don't know if I would have did well at that um, and then in college I almost failed my first year I was on academic probation at Pitt because I thought like a lot of my friends that I could stay up all night and drink or do whatever and get A's in classes because that's what I saw people doing. Yeah. But I'm just not made for that. So then when I went on academic probation, I remember um, I went home for the weekend or something and my parents said, you know, if you fail out of pit, you're going to owe, I think it was like 20000 maybe $20,000, probably Jesus. less. That was like 90, you know, well, yeah. 97, 96. And I, I don't know if I was disillusioned. My dad was a printer. Like, we didn't have, we had no money. I begged for them to get divorced so that I could get student <laughs> loans or emancipate me. So I just remember going back there. And at the time, I worked at The Gap and I babysat her as a nanny and stuff. And my parents said, Do you know how much work you're going to have to do at The Gap to pay for your one year of school and then continue to work at The Gap? And I, was like, what are you talking about? And they said, look around you. Like, we don't come from money. So that kind of scared the shit out of me. And As I went, it should. Uh, yeah, it, which I guess a lot of people it doesn't, but it really terrified me, the idea of going home, because I was the first one to go to college. I just didn't want, I didn't know what else, I didn't have a backup plan. Like, yeah. there was nothing I wanted to do, and I didn't want to stay in Shaler and all this stuff. So anyways... I went um, to Pitt and asked them for, like, this, they had, like, a resource center. Because I did notice going there um, when I was in classes that I'd be with people that they just seemed to know what they were doing study-wise. And I asked them, like, what are you doing? And they're highlighting books. Yeah, like, and what's I would, the secret? I would just highlight the whole book. I didn't yeah. know. So I went to the study center, and they helped me study. And I improved my grades so much that they wanted me to speak to other kids on academic <laughs> probation. So now looking back, it's funny because I was a, my first so semester of sophomore year at Pitt. I spoke in the Cathedral of Learning in one of the bigger rooms to like 400 students on <laughs> academic probation. And like in retrospect, I look back and I'm like, holy shit, I was such a dork. Like I look like a <laughs> dork. But I remember because I'm a nervous public speaker anyway still, but it was then it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. But at the end, I remember this one girl came up to me and she's like, that really helped me. That made a difference. And that feeling was like heroin to me. That's all it takes is one. It's just, just one, one person to be like, you one, really made a difference. You made a difference <laughs> just talking to me. And I was like, this is awesome. So, I, you know, I, I was really undeclared of what I wanted to do in school. And um, at the time, Pitt... I, I think I liked psychology. I had gone to counseling um, and I'd gone to therapy during, you know, at, at Pitt at some points. So I liked that idea, but it seemed too outlandish for me. I wasn't smart enough. So I went for communication because who knows what the hell that is. Yeah, it's nice and broad and you just yeah. get to talk to people. So. And I think, yeah, who knows what that even, I don't even know. Like, I still don't know what, wait, and that's what the glory of this podcast is that you get to find out 
what yeah, do you like, do? What, what's up? What's up with that? What's your yeah? So basically, if you go to school for communication, which on The Simpsons they say it's a phony major, is you can basically go to grad school. No. So, and I I had gone for like because Pitt had a fifth year teaching degree, so I was like, oh maybe I'll be a teacher. You know, everybody likes that schedule, which you know they make good money and you get summers off and all yeah. that stuff. But I student taught at one school like the Falk school at Pitt and I hated it so bad I just could yeah. not stand talking to children all day <laughs> so then yeah I, it's a different demographic yeah yeah so I got out of Pitt it's just kind of I'm just winding around it because I'm I minored in sign language and the reason I did that again like looking back at my like laziness and efficiency was every language at Pitt was every day of the week except sign language it was one day for four hours so yeah. i could yeah. i could Just bang that knock out, it out and move on and i got an a plus in it so i was like this is great so i ended up minoring in sign language now i know not i know absolutely nothing <laughs> um but I would take these, as soon as I graduated, I got this job as a social worker just because this place needed some, you know, it's like one of these places where you did, I don't know. Now this was something, know. this is something through the college or is this Mm-mm. just a separate I just job? Applied, I applied for a job in a newspaper ad. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah. So like It's so quaint. Back, it's so quaint nowadays. I love so it. So back in the day, <laughs> like going through the one ads, mm-hmm. applied for a job. The starting salary was $22,000. Which was a gold mine for me. Mm-hmm. And I look back on it and it was great experience. I worked in every ghetto in Pittsburgh, the worst ghettos around. Um, and then I'd get called to these court cases a lot to interpret for sign language, which I wasn't an interpreter. So it was very odd. That's kind of how they I got hired in that field was somebody was intrigued that I knew sign language. So I worked in that. And then... Part of the place I worked, they had different, just like a lot of nonprofits in Pittsburgh, there was a lot of different areas. So there was a clinical kind of area, and it was called family-based. So I went into that field. So it was kind of like social work with a therapy aspect. Well, what was that like for you? Like, what what age are you at this point? Oh, my God. I was 21. Yeah, 21. All right. And you're going into these rough neighborhoods. Terrible. Yeah. just... <laughs> Terrible What was that experience like, if you could touch on well, that Well, so I always think about... I had this, I had a two door Ford Explorer that my husband begged me not at the time we were dating. And he, he said, this is the dumbest thing you could buy. And I bought it. Cause I don't know why I just wanted a two door Explorers. They don't sell them anymore. Yeah. Their air conditioning wasn't working. And I would drive through these projects with the windows up because I, if I had the windows down, I was, you know, 20, 21 blonde, attractive and somewhat not naive but you had the balls to go in there and be like hey i'm here and the things people say to you you know is insane like i'd I'd just be driving and just pouring sweat down my face because if i had the window down it'd be like hey you bitch i'm gonna bend you over and fuck you you're like (laughs) oh okay and so I'd go from all these ghettos, and I sometimes I would dial like nine one on my phone. Oh, just before to be, I got out. Mm, One time right. in like Northview Heights, I got boxed in, where you know two cars pull up and they go on either side yeah. from the front and back. And I pulled in, you know, I had a, a truck, so I pulled in the grass and pulled around. <laughs> but for the most part, the um, people you work with start sending out warnings. They like they know the social workers in the area, yeah. so. I, I was okay with it, but now, looking back, I didn't have GPS. Yeah. I didn't have a cell... I had a cell phone, 
but it was, I mean... Like one of those old bricks or something Oh, like my that. God, it was terrible. And then we had... After the first year I was there, they got those Nextel Directs. Do you remember those? Mm-hmm. The walkie-talkies? Yeah. And that was crazy. Um, it, was, it was good for safety. But I'll never forget, I was driving through Wilkinsburg during the day. I had just picked up... So I got kids for all kinds of reasons. So I'd get medical cases. If you're, if you're giving your kid Pepsi out of a bottle... Yeah. And your kid's overweight. I get them. I had a, a woman who was very proud to tell me that she was on Jenny Jones, because, which was a talk show. I remember Jenny Jones. Because her baby was, it was the case of the fat baby. It was one of the uh, like Jenny Jones shows. Mm-hmm. And I went to their the house and like, and she said, well, you know, he, I, he cries if I don't give him pizza. And he was like, two. And he shouldn't be. He was like, and I'm like, I know nothing about this stuff. I'm just like an, a college educated person that could just go in. So that was funny, but then this going back, this one, I'm driving through Wilkinsburg during the day. I just picked up a client who was a diabetic, and that was something, too, that you would never do now, is you'd never drive kids around, but I would do that. You'd what, pick do you, them up. what do you mean? I'd pick them up and drive them wherever. Like, it was just, if they had to go to an appointment, or if, oh, they, okay. if I was just taking them to the park to hang out, like, I had clearances, but I'd just drive wherever. And, um, so I picked her up and we're waiting at a stop sign and this kid comes flying down this hill on his bike and hits my car and his face hits my window and he just slides like a movie slowly down the window. And I freak out. I call the cops. I said, this kid hit my car. They're like, so you hit a kid with your car. I was like, no, a kid hit my car. (laughs) They get there. The kid had already run away and they're like, ah, they don't use brakes down the hill. That'll teach them. Like it was like. So different than my experience in suburbia, but it's still, it was just kind of like a very unique situation. Um, I had a guy who, so part of my job too is with people lost their, um, parental rights or were getting, getting to the point of being completely terminated. So I had a guy who was, um, and he hogtied and beat his child with a chain. It was terrible. And I would have to go pick him up by myself and take him to supervised visits where his daughter would wet herself when she would see him. Mm. And so then I'd have to report that she's afraid of him. So, I, I, well, I mean, so at that insane. point, like, how do you even get visitation if you've done something like that? that so looks... the law, well, at the time, the law was like three strikes, you're out. Oh. So you have to really prove that you're really unfit, even though, you, well, and I think that there, I, I don't know if it was like witnessed or something like that. I, I mean, it's really blurry, but I just remember picking him up and thinking I could get killed at any moment. Like, and, yeah. and, and just, it's like one of those things where you do whatever you do when you're young and you look back and you're like, Oh my God, like, what was I thinking? Who, who trusted a 21 year old to do that? I imagine they, they would seek that out because the, the you know, the early 20-somethings would be naive enough to be like, yeah, I can handle it. That's a genius. Well, yeah. I can do that job. Well, and we weren't CYA. We didn't work for children, youth, and families. We were subcontractors of them. So oh, okay. And kind of spreads the liabilities around a little bit, too. Yeah. And I'm sure that those jobs have changed just insanely since I, since I did that. Because the driving kids around, that I don't think ever happens anymore. Um, but I did a lot of things like that. Then I went into family-based, where you had a partner, 
and it was a guy that I would go with and he was a master's level, I was a bachelor's level, and that was more intense kind of therapy, but for really high intensity kind of Are these like office visits or you Mm -hmm. go into that? All in homes. In homes. Okay. Yeah. So still a little still a little intense. Well I I, my At least you have a partner at this point. Yes. And my story is, you know, this I, I, I am like watching what I say because I think like I don't want it to sound disrespectful, but I get all I'll that just say, stuff out. I'll just so say all you get final you can, cut. whatever you think. <laughs> um, I, I always joke to now when I work with people you know that are very typical or going through like health issues, I'll say I used to hold my pee like a rock star. I knew where all the clean bathrooms were in the whole metropolitan area because uh-huh. I'd go from like Westmoreland County, Armstrong, and there's some backwoods places there but I'd go into these homes where you couldn't even like hover over the toilet because they were gross or I'd peg my pants because there was termite or I mean cockroaches yeah just like (laughs) things like that and I remember at the time because I got married when I was 23 and I remember at the time I can't remember what happened I had some medical issue where I had to go get a sonogram and they make you drink like at the time, they made me drink, like, 60 ounces of water or something. Yeah. And the woman came out to get me, and she said, there's no way that you drank all that water. And I said, yes, I did. And she said, no, you didn't. Because you're not, you don't look uncomfortable. And I, I said, I, I swear I did. Yeah. So we get there. She goes to do the sonogram. She's like, oh, my God, you're full of water. I said, <laughs> I told you. And she's like, how is that? I said, lady, I go into dirty houses for a living. I can hold my pee like a champ. It's, it's a talent. Just, it's it's, a, it's talent. a talent. Now it's not so much talent, but you know, it's 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 funny because I just remember that like is one of those like, oh my body has adapted to this too. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean it's it was great experience and it makes me really appreciate where I am now and I've done a bunch of other like I've that was like the big kind of telling job. Then I went to the family based therapy and then I after that worked at a school that was a approved private school for kids um it was like 120 kids with multiple issues they have a lot of issues um and their their school districts couldn't support them so it was a behavior-based outpatient school so each unit had a psychiatrist and there was five adults in each room most of the time to like eight kids yeah. I had my teeth knocked out there. What? Yeah. yeah. How did that go down? So we had to do restraints a lot. And I, this, this one kid who was always, I mean, he was just like a little, just a little shit. And he punched me in the face and I was What, what age are we talking about? What age is the kid? He was 11, I'd say. You do some, do some damage at 11. 11. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so I was, how old was I? I was 27, I think, 27 or 28, and he punched me in the face, and I just quickly grabbed him up and did um, a basket hold, which is like a bear hug from behind, Yeah. and as I did that, he head-butted me Ooh. in the teeth, and at the time, the CEO of the whole company of Wesley was giving a tour to the board of the, the uh, board of directors, and they heard it. It sounded like a baseball bat. Yeah, I bet. And then it was just obviously like a bloodbath. Yeah. So it was crazy timing because he saw it and it was like, then I became like this, like, oh my God, that was the girl who got her teeth out. So they went, they essentially went backwards, not out. 
And then when I went up, they, I got up to the nurse, I pushed them forward and like could almost felt them go back into a socket, uh-huh. which was crazy. But Ugh. in retrospect, like it is better because I went to a dentist and they said that that's the best thing you could do. Cause then the nerve started. Well, so you still have your real teeth. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I, that's my last chance. That's what all <laughs> yeah. my, my dentist has said that like, if you get hit at all, you're done. I still have like hot coffee or on in the cold. The this wind. Is a sensitivity oh, going on. Yeah, it's still apples and corn on the cob still are not like the best. Yeah. And for a year, I couldn't touch any of that stuff. And I look at that kid at lunch, and I think he's just sitting there eating an apple. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it, and then I look back after that happened, and I went back to work. I only took off like three days or something. I went back to work, and I looked at his crisis plan, and I wrote it. Saying, don't hold him in a basket hold because he headbutts. Uh-huh. So it was my fault, essentially, because I just reacted and restrained him instead of waiting. And that was kind of like a, a sign where I was like, okay, maybe I'm ready to leave this place. Like, yeah. too many restraints. You know, and restraints are never fun to be a part of, you know, when you're doing no, like, It sounds terrible for everybody. Yeah, there'd be like eight adults. We had, I mean, we had guys that were... 260 pounds some of these like high schoolers and when they would go down I remember one kid it was my job just to hold his wrists down his one wrist Mm -hmm. both of my hands and he was still I mean just bucking and I can't imagine what police do I mean they they can use they're not using therapeutic force which is a little bit different they can use force but I it is it is very difficult, and then you feel there's all these feelings attached to it, and you yeah. feel really bad because a lot of these people are not they're not criminals, so yeah. they're not doing it on purpose. They're just and like, at some level, out. it's not really their fault. I mean, it's, That's it's, what it I mean. plays yeah. a huge part in like how you're raised and how yeah. you got handled, exactly, so I, I, and how people are intervening with you. So yeah. like, I never got threatened by those kids because I knew that I'm. I wasn't in a power struggle with them. That's, I think something is my advantage as a therapist now is I don't, I'm not intimidated by that because I'm not threatened by it. And I can see where people would get threatened and they want to prove a point or they're just like, you know, and they would say horrible things to you. Like I tell my <laughs> kids all the time, cause they'll say, you know, and they'll say, Oh, this kid was so mean to the teacher. And I'm like, what did he say? Well, he said, shut up. I'm like, oh, shut up. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, we had kids. I remember being pregnant with my first one. And this kid coming up to me and he said, I'm going to cut your baby out of you. Jesus. And I was like, so we, we developed, me and a couple of my colleagues, we would, we called it fine therapy. We would be like, that's fine. Okay. That's fine. Oh. And they like, do you want your, I'm going to sue you and take your house away. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And well, that's so, a little bit more benign than yeah, yeah, yeah. Your baby I'm gonna, I'm gonna you. cut your baby. I'm gonna punch you in the stomach, and you're gonna miscarry. Like they would do very targeted, yeah, you know, things. They get under your skin. I mean, there's different obvious. degrees of that in any school. And it exactly. And the as soon as you knew what your power was, so for me, like is if I thought my ass was big or that my teeth were yellow, they're gonna they're gonna target that. And just exploit it. So you can't allow them to see your weakness. Or if they see it, like, you have to be ready to just be like, yeah, okay, I have a fat ass, whatever. And that, I think, really helped me work now. Because when I, like, when I, every once in a while, am around, like, a narcissistic man. And they'll say something like, hmm, you'd be really pretty if you didn't wear glasses. And Is I, a real patient saying this to you? Yeah, yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus. Now, not it doesn't happen a lot, but every once in a while, when especially with couples, if somebody feels threatened in a in a relationship and they feel that I'm colluding in any way, yeah, um, that's where they'll they'll be like, well, what would you know, like, oh. you know, like those kind of things, and and I could see where my instinct is to be like, well, fuck you, <laughs> but really, I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. You know, and yeah. that's when they say things like somebody did say, I wear, I wear, wear glasses all the time, but I wear my contacts to work. And this one guy said, you're just, um, you're not as pretty with, with your contacts in. <laughs> and I said, okay, um, first of all, I didn't ask you. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like that's something that is valid for you to say to somebody? So I always use them as like teachable moments. Like, yeah. Would well, you as long say as you're that? Getting yeah. Something from it. I mean. Oh yeah. One guy came in and out. He said, um, "I see you're with child," and I said, "No, I'm with chub. I think I'm sitting. <laughs> I think I was sitting a little bit chubby. I, mean, I don't think I'm that chubby, but I was sitting like a little bit chubby." And he said, "Oh, I was just very. I, I didn't. I said it because I was just very. Disp- I like you, and I, I would be disappointed if you're going to go on maternity leave." Oh, <laughs> he said, "Well, I'm not." Nice save, guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all right, let's let's Sorry. get back in because I really yeah. want to dive yeah. into to your job, and we're <laughs> going into the background a lot. So you I know, I'm sorry. you get your no no that's good. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Yeah, so you get your teeth knocked. Yeah, <laughs> knocked in or out. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, and you you make a decision like all right, it's probably time to think about a new path. So let's well, let's get us to yeah. present. So I was in grad school at the time. Okay. Um, there because. Working so there's a big discrepancy with bachelor's degrees in psychology or counseling compared to master's degrees, uh-huh. and then there's a bigger discrepancy with masters and licensure. So, I was taught. I mean, at, with a bachelor's degree, I think I was topping out at my current at my job at the time at like twenty eight thousand dollars. Like was my max. So with a master's, you could make like forty, and that was just insane to me. Like that was a great. To be able to make 40000 was great. So I went back for my master's. Because I worked at a school, I could do it at night. And I was mm-hmm. able to do my internship there because it was a school, but it was clinical. So it was great for all of those things. And the experience was great. And I still stay in touch with a lot of people there. I try to poach people from there to come mm-hmm. to our place. Um, so once I got my master's, there's, this, there's a time between when you get your master's and when you get your license. So mm-hmm. you have to... First of all, like a regular master's degree is 48 credits. Okay, so, but to get your license, you have to do a 60 credit master's degree. And then to get your license, you have to have two two years post-master's. And at the time I was there, 3,600 hours. Now it's 3,000 hours. Um, so 3,600 hours of experience. So I, I quit that school and then went to a, a different service of theirs, what was called wraparound services. So... I would go in as a master's, this is when I graduated, my master's degree, and I would go into homes with kids with autism, which for working in homes is like glorious because autism is a neurological disorder. So yes, you could be in projects or you could be in million dollar homes. Yeah. And a vast majority of people that I worked with were just very nice people, people that had kids late in life or they adopted or, I mean, they really were interested in helping their kids. So I would go in and help, um, you know, with, there would be an in-home therapist who worked like 20 hours a week 
and I work like three hours a week with each case and I would help them basically set up therapeutic curriculums. So I did that for, um, until I got my license. And then once I got my license, I was ecstatic to try private practice. Uh, and I just looked around, I looked around online and I found the place that I work now. I sent the owner, you know, some interest, just kind of solicited her and she met with me, which I was really surprised because it seemed fancy to me. It was like a nice place. And she took me on and there were, at the time there was five of us in one office. Now there's four offices and 35 people, something like that. So it's pretty cool. Like yeah. I've seen this grit, this evolution. You got the girl with it. Yeah, yeah. totally. Now, was it uh, like a, initially a couple's? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, she started it as a licensed marriage and family therapist. So she was more training couples therapy. Okay. And I was nervous to start couples therapy, but the way she approached it was, you work with parents. What's the difference? It's just, they're just I mean, couples. True, yeah. You know, it's it, and a lot of it is confidence. Like if you go in acting like you don't know what you're doing, then people are going to be uh, have doubt in you. Whereas yeah. I was just curious, and I still am curious. That's why I think is my best asset as a therapist is I'm hard to offend. And I'm very curious. So I just, yeah. I think that's a good combination besides like education and all that stuff. Um, so that was what went into like pivoted into sex therapy was I would see couples and then I'd ask them questions about their sex life. And it was amazing to me how many people never talked about it. Yeah. And so then I got, I tried to get interested or find out more about it. I went to a free training on sex trafficking and the guy who ran it was a sex therapist so i just looked up what that was and what asect was and where to go and found a um, supervisor and she was intrigued because she saw my bio online and saw that i was young at the time i was 30 and um so that was like that was that's kind of started it well yeah i imagine if you're a curious person and you're dealing with relationships you're gonna start going down that sex avenue yes. because there's a lot more interesting things that yes. could go on yeah down that road yes okay so let's get into your day because i want to yes. get into more of the couples therapy and the sex okay. therapy thing and okay um your day-to-day week do you have like a set get to the office at this time every day or is it all just um it's not random I, so i have set hours like they i get to the office between 7 30 and 8 30 okay. depending on if i have an eight o'clock client or a nine o'clock so that's all about yeah. who you schedule you yeah schedule. yeah i don't have to be there unless there's a client there and so most of the time it, like next week on my really long day i start at 7 a.m because that's when I could put somebody in. And I do that a lot where I over-function. So if you would look on my hours, I think my hours are like 8 to 4, 9 to 9, 8 to 4, 8 to 4. Okay. So we have a general idea. But I work 7 to 6, 7 to 10, you know, 10 to 10. Like it just, I take on a lot of people. But you're essentially in charge of that. Like yes. no one's forcing oh, I'm you in charge. to take Yeah, I'm in charge okay. of that. All right, good. Yeah. So let's um start the actual show. Yeah, sorry. Oh my uh, god. No, it's good, and that's other people should know. Uh, the recording. You were essentially the uh um the, 
the person who came up with this with me. We we spent a full therapy session workshopping this idea for a podcast. Yeah. Because we're both genuinely curious about what yeah. people do. Yeah. And between the two of us, we know a lot of different weird people that do a lot yeah. of different things. I so I'm fascinated. I always said that with like Howard Stern. I'm fascinated when he's like, no, 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 no. How did you get here? And they're like, mm-hmm. well, I did. No, no. He's like, no, no. Which streets did you take? Like, I yeah. love that kind of. Yeah, the stuff. little yeah. details, and that's like because our general idea was the yeah. job, yeah, and then it turned into like the Howard Stern like mm-hmm. minutia of yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. and then um, I brought up that Pete Holmes would bring up things like, what kind of shampoo do you yes, use? So yeah. it's just like I really yeah. want to know. Like I don't. Yeah. It doesn't matter in my life, but it's, yeah. it's super interesting. Yeah. Um. So all right, let's let's start. Um. With, with when when you wake up, when do you wake up? So I wake up, I would say my kids have to be on the bus. So I wake up around 6.30 um, and my husband's like, he's, he's the very typical parent. I'm, I'm the, like, I'll hit the snooze button a million times. <laughs> I know exactly how long I can, like, I have a calculation in my head. I'm not smart by any realm of anything else. But if you say you have to be at some place at, like, if I know my client's going to be at Shady Side at 8 a.m., I know that I can leave at 7.27. Like, so yeah, my mind, get it down to the I can get it to the minute, and then my mind will even say, like, your hair's not really greasy, you can use dry shampoo, like, whatever I need to do in that moment. And most of the time, I'm like, you just get up and take a shower, you'll feel better, but it's it is eternal. Like I am not a morning person yeah. at all. Um, I wish I was. So like the 7am client, I will dread it, but I love, and I love work, obviously. Yeah. Like I love work and I love getting there. It's just that morning wake up darkness. Like I do struggle with seasonal affective disorder. So uh-huh. like that same, I think everybody in Pittsburgh does. So it's not, a, it's not unique, but just that idea of like, ugh. so I have to, I wake up, I play it. So so I use my alarm. ritual. Yeah. yeah just... I use my phone alarm. I snooze it. I play Candy Crush until it times me out. I don't pay okay. I don't pay for Candy Crush. I only I'll play it a couple times. Um and then it times me out. So then I have to get up and take a shower. I take a shower, I get dressed, I come downstairs, I have coffee, I play more Candy Crush. Okay. I watch SpongeBob's with the kids. And then I get ready and I usually leave pretty quickly. I'm pretty no fuss like I um I I take the I shouldn't say I take it seriously but like in therapy people aren't there to see me so I don't dress like a bum but I yeah but you I don't dress up I don't wear perfume because I know smells are very sensitive to people so I try to be aware of of those triggers and stuff there I bet yeah I'm not a big makeup person I try to look presentable um I'm, I'm probably portraying it as like I'm this like homeless person but really no, I'm you're just, always very professional I've, I've just been I've just been very I'm low maintenance is low what maintenance, I would say yeah. you know and I know that I've been I've been pushing that for a while where you know the joke is like at some point I'm gonna have to wear makeup because I'm 40 and <laughs> you can't go on forever but I never wanted to be that person that had to wake up and do this whole regimen I have yeah. no desire to do that I love my bed too much mm-hmm. um so that kind of helps that um, I listen to podcasts on the way into work. If I, I, I listen to Stern when I can, um, but a lot of times it, it's just too many commercials or too. I listen to them on the app sometimes, but I listen to podcasts 
on the way in, either like Dak Shepard or um, an Esther Perel's podcast, Where Do We Begin, which is a sex therapy podcast. Oh, okay. But sometimes I, I feel like I don't want to, it's like work because it's yeah. a lot of sessions. It's basically sessions. It's aw- She's awesome. But I'll, I'll listen to those kind of things. Or My Dad Wrote a Porno is my all-time that, that's favorite. That's in my list. I haven't listened to it yet. It is hilarious. And it's just so... It gets you so distracted from your daily ritual. Like, for me, it's relevant in a, in a, in a case. but And I use it as, a, in, as examples at work. But it's just very funny and disarming. I don't, I don't want to, like, bog myself down with, like... I do not watch the news... Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my clients tell me what's going on in the news and I'll hear about things, but I can't, I'm so absorbed with so much of other people's emotions that I can't really. Yeah. And a lot of it's just that fear. Just mm-hmm. like, here you go. Here's some fear on yes. top of whatever you were worried about. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. And it's, yeah. and it's marketed towards you, you know, yeah, like exactly. on Facebook, it's marketed towards me as a liberal. So I, I see that where it's like, they're going to take away this, you know, and. <laughs> I think I just want to see puppies and babies. Like that's all. That's mm-hmm. it. In funny pictures and videos. That's that's really it. So, um, yeah. So that's really I maybe eat like a half a bagel or sometimes I'll go to Starbucks for my first client. Depending, like I have a client on Friday mornings that I try to get her Starbucks every every week because then I it's she's so appreciative of it, but it's selfishly because then I get Starbucks and yeah, I get like exactly. eggs or something. Um. Yeah, so that's that's really it for those days. Um, and then when I get there, I do all the, like the routine stuff. If I if, if you're the first one, if I'm the first one there. But okay. for the most part, like every the our offices are meant to be like plug and play. Like they're they're kind of just like a template, and you bring your laptop in, and that's really all you need. And you just get a nice quiet room. And... You get a nice quiet room. Yeah, there's no personalized. We've gotten. Some clinicians in the past have bucked at that where they want like their name on the door or personal pictures, but we don't do any of that stuff just because that hey, way it's more like universal and you can kind of run it's around. more universal. And you know, we always talk about like if you're coming in for fertility problems and you have all you're seeing is pictures of people's yeah, family and kids, like that's probably not a li- the best, yeah, yeah, it's just it's not not cool. So you know, that, it makes it easier because you can just come into work and you're, you know, ready to go. Yeah. And um, if, I imagine if something pops up, you can be in a mm-hmm. different office and it won't really change. It, exactly. Much. Exactly. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So, um. But I, I don't have, there's no secretary who checks people in. So, you know, sometimes the clients are right there waiting for you or like I look on my schedule. Most of the time I have people that I'd say I see like 35 people a week. We'll say 20 of them are weekly. And then the 15 are either rotating from every other week or every month or every six weeks, you know, just as needed. Okay. So let's just run through like a general, um, who you see throughout the day. Like, again, I know you're not allowed to like divulge anyone's personal business. Joe Smith on Tuesday. (laughs) Exactly. Like what kind of issues are you dealing with on a regular basis? What what are some common Mm. things that, that reoccur? Number one, anxiety. Across the board. Okay. Everybody has anxiety. And I think everybody does have anxiety. You have to, to some extent, yeah. Yeah, you have to have anxiety in order to manage your life in some way or be productive. Like most yeah. people that are productive have anxiety. But if it's inhibiting your life in some negative way, it, it affects you. So for sex therapy, for example, that's a big question I'll get a lot is, well, is sex therapy covered? The answer is no. Like technically... 
Insurance will not pay for you to go to sex therapy. But insurance also won't pay for you to go to couples counseling. Uh-huh. But they do pay for you to go to family therapy. So it's semantics at some point. And yeah. then with, you know, for women who have sexual pain or men who have erectile dysfunction, the first question I'll ask them is, does this cause you anxiety or depression? And they're like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that those are, those things are covered. So it's just... It's it's totally um, above board. It's, it's just getting the verbiage right. Exactly. To, for words. Exactly. So so I would say the most common thing is anxiety. Um, I see probably fifty percent of the people I see are couples, um, or or one of a couple where maybe the cl- another clinician in the practice sees the other part of the couple. Uh-huh. Um, How common is that? Like, what are the couples versus the, the separated couples? Um. When I was first building up hours, I saw a lot of couples and them separately. Oh, but okay. now with the, uh, I don't have the time, so I have to do some farming it out. And mm-hmm. and our practice is set up to do that. We collaborate a lot with each other. Um, but I'd say it's, I don't know, a number. I'm, I'd say the couples. No, just roughly. I don't know. Yeah, the couples specific. I see. So if I say like 15, 15 or 20 couples a week, of those couples... I see probably half of them where I see both people individually also. And then the other ones, either half of them see somebody else in the practice, and then a quarter of them, they, nobody, they just they don't see anybody individually, something like that. And what's the difference in your experience with that? Like, is there just, uh, like, when you deal with them individually, is just are there a lot of shit talking, or do you find that there's more invasive conversation when they're together or how does that work sometimes i I, i've had now it hasn't happened lately but in the past i've had couples that cannot sit in a room together without fighting Mm -hmm. so i will disallow them from doing couples counseling until they can get to a point where they've vented all their stuff so that they can sit in a room because i think the part uh, that people struggle with a lot is they don't get that captive audience until they're in a a room like mine. So the room like mine becomes a safe space for one and a horrendously threatening place for the other person. Yeah. So I have to really manage that so it becomes a safe, safe, safe place for both of them. And yeah, individually, sometimes it is about bitching about the other person and I'll try to reframe it, you know, and say like, but you still love them, obviously, because you're staying with them, you know. But a lot of them, it's, you know, somebody was asking me recently, like why people come to therapy and I said I would again I'm going to throw a high percentage out there like 75% of my clients come to therapy because somebody else in their life should be in therapy so they almost come in Uh talking about their spouse or their mom or their mother-in-law like Mm -hmm. that's a big common thing is the mother-in-law or the mother and it's really because they have control issues or like the, the their spouse has control issues so then they'll come in and they're like well he did this, she did this, blah, 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 blah. And I'll, we'll talk about it, what they can do as the, the client. And it's great, but really the other person needs to be there, yeah. you know, in some way. So Because if you're not going to correct that problem, then exactly. it's going to continue to exactly. be I, Yeah, I saw a guy um, recently who he's paying cash because he doesn't even want his wife to know that he's going. And we were talking about, okay, well, like if this is a sex issue and you want... Like, I can't really help you without her here. I can encourage you and get you to be assertive. Like, part of his issue is he needs to be assertive, mm-hmm. you know, with his wife. Um, and working on that, but it's a, it's a tough thing to do alone. You know, yeah. it's a couple when it's a couple's issue, 
it's hard to treat individually. So imagine if too, if there's a power struggle kind of thing going yes. on, then it's going to yeah. be a lot more difficult without both people at least attempting to yes. solve the problem. Well, also there's this like stigma still. Oh, like, yeah. oh, they'll never come to therapy. Like I hear that a lot. Like, oh, I'm open to what you have, but they're not. Like I'm uh, some kind of witch or something. Like, no, I'm, a, I'm cool with it. But <laughs> there's still not. a lot of that out yeah. there. If I, if I, my grandpa finds out that I go to therapy, he's just talking trash, and it's like I don't they're care. I mean, your I mean, mom or something. I'm, yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. difficult to offend me, so I don't yeah. care. But I imagine there's a lot of other people mm-hmm. that are like. Everyone's gonna judge me. I can't go. I can't let anyone find oh, out yeah. about this. And people will say that about our waiting room. Like, what if I see somebody? I'm like, well, if you see somebody in our waiting room, they're here too. So yeah, I mean, that's always yeah. my theory on it. Yeah, and I used to get caught up in that because Pittsburgh's a small town, and we see a lot of people that I see a client, then I see the step parent, I see the boss, I see this person. You know, like they'll refer all kinds of people, but then they don't want to see them. And I used to overmanage that a lot. And now I think like, no, this is this is my schedule. If they fit in and they're back to back and you I can't help it that you two used to be friends but you're not friends and you know, it becomes heavy on me to manage. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, right. the individual stuff it, it it is different. I don't know. It's uh, there's so it's so surprising to me how many people don't have anyone in their life that they can be truly honest with. Yeah, that's pretty surprising. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite get that because I've always been very, yeah, um, you know, transparent. Transparent is what I was looking yeah. for. Yeah, and so I don't have to worry about that stuff. Like, yeah. I don't have to have secrets because I'm not equipped enough yeah. to hide anything about myself. So oh, I just yeah. put it all out there. And that's how that's how I am. And I have it's it's lovely to work with therapists because a bunch of us are just super close, and we do we talk. about you know, about everything. And the idea that we have all these people, which it's very, it's a big honor. But, you know, I had three people use the line, no one else in the world except you knows X yesterday to me. Yeah. And it's just so, like, it's this, on like, awesome burden. But it's, like, it's very... I don't think I'm that special. So, and it's not about me. It's about the place and the... But the, the, there's the very restraint. much that yeah. element there. Like, I was thinking that on the drive over here. I was yeah. like, she knows more about me than anybody else <laughs> in the world. And then I thought about it a little bit more. And I was like, no, I got drunk and told my buddies all that anyway. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, as a, you know, sober, middle of the day, honest conversation, you've heard yes. more of anything. So yeah. I imagine yeah. there's a quite a few people that are like that with you yeah there are and you know i always use because i am honest and transparent that i'm i talk freely about myself and i will joke that hipaa goes both ways like you can't leave here and be like my therapist said blah 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 (laughs) which with individuals when going back to that i was that's what i wanted to say is the the one thing that's an asset when i see people individually and as a couple is that there's no bullshitting there's nothing lost in translation because i'm the 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 one yeah whereas i was just talking to one of my colleagues yesterday and we have a couple we share and you know i was saying like well and this one said this and she's like oh well that's weird because this one said this and we're almost like lawyering to each yeah. other in a kind we're like not fighting at all we we're just kind of talking and it's so funny because the words you know the whatever she says gets completely mixed up 
and before it comes to me and vice versa. It's like a game of telephone oh, and yeah. you guys are the lawyers representing each other. Exactly. Side. And we can't, there's no defending ourselves. So, which is fine. So if, uh, if you come to see me and say, well, I, I, my wife and I haven't had sex in five years and I say, oh, you know, this, let's talk about what's going on. Like maybe there's something contributing to it, blah, blah, blah. You could be totally in and you could walk out of my office and be like, I saw a sex therapist and she said that you're supposed to have sex with me every single day. <laughs> and that, and really there's not, I don't know. Like I, when you leave my office, I don't yeah. know what's going to happen. So I'm misrepresented. You yeah. So, so sometimes that's, that can be a struggle with when I see teenagers because their parents want to know. And that's as just a, as a regular therapist, not a sex therapist, but their parents will desperately want to have control in certain aspects. And yeah. I, by law, I will not and cannot report anything unless they say they want to hurt themselves or somebody else. Yeah. So they can go home and be like, well, Danny said that you're being mean to me. <laughs> and that, you know. What, what can you do? Really? I mean, mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> I mean, I and I can, you know, we have therapy speak where we can like redirect things and reframe them and all that stuff. But. You know, at the end of the day, they can go home and say whatever they want. I do it with my doctor. I can be like, oh, I went to my doctor and they said that, you know, eating bagels every day with extra cream cheese is totally perfect. Like, yeah. that's fine for my sugar. Whatever. <laughs> so, that was a bad example. But, yeah. <laughs> I got to get your point you know out. But, um, okay, let's get, um, now that we're on food. Yeah. <laughs> what, lunch? When are you taking lunch? So, I don't, if I take a lunch to work, I take PB&J. Okay. Um, usually they're in Shadyside is a very expensive part of town. So, um, I get, there's one of the places there's chili and you can get for $5. So I'll end up eating like my $5 chili. Um, that's usually my go-to. Sometimes I'll eat like a salad or something, but, um, for the most part, yeah, I'll eat PB and J. Um, on my long days, I might go to lunch with a client or somewhere like, or something, but uh, there's a smoothie place in Cranberry that is called Pulp, and I'll get... Nice. That's what I'll get a smoothie for lunch sometimes. I love a good smoothie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, nothing... Like, and that's when, when the new clinicians start, they're always like, is it okay to eat in front of clients? It's like, I don't... That's up to them. Like, most clients don't care. Um, I just don't, you know, don't eat, like, peel and eat shrimp or something. Yeah, don't like, be gross. Don't be gross. Like, I've but, brought you food before. It's yeah. not weird. Like, it no. doesn't hinder the reason I'm there. I mean, half yeah. the time we're talking about movies or podcasts yeah. anyway. But, but yeah, it's it yeah. doesn't affect the, the gig. No, yeah. And, and spe- like, I have if I have vegan or vegetarian clients, I'm not going to sit there and eat beef chili in front of them. Like, yeah. I'm aware of those things. I'll eat oatmeal a lot, like, out of cups, you know. Um, but for the most part, eating takes so... It's not that long, so, you know, I'll do that in between sessions if I really need to or just eat snacks during the day. Yeah, is it something you take a break for or you just kind of, like, fit it in where you fit it in? I fit it in where I fit it in. Okay. It's not worth the money for me to block off time, and usually the times people want to eat, like, at noon or four, those are really busy times. Yeah. So, I would rather take five minutes to eat and then, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Have a shake or something like that, but... All right, now on the days where you're super busy, what do you say, yeah. 7 to 10? Well, the, like the traditionally is 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. Okay. It's every Tuesday. And then sometimes it's 7 a.m. till 10 p.m., but yeah, mostly 8. Okay, now getting through a day like that, mm-hmm. you just genuinely enjoy the job that much that you, you don't get bothered by seeing that many people in a day? Or like, I'm trying to 
get inside yeah. your head of the motivation of how you get through a dirge of a day like that. So it's funny. I, I always tell people to me, it's like Netflix. It's, it's, it's like binge watching something yeah. except it's like binge watching every show. So one might be a comedy, one might be a drama, one's might be an action thriller. If I saw all depressed clients, yeah. it would be horribly draining. Yeah. If I saw all anxious clients or all ADHD clients, like that's exhausting. All couples, forget it. <laughs> I seem to have a nice mix. Even like sex, like if I would see a lot of sex couples or sex th- therapy issues in a day, those are higher anxiety people traditionally. So yeah. if it takes a little bit more energy, but yeah, it, it really varies. And I, I will deliberately, like when I look at my schedule and I get demands for people it, I see people when they're in crisis too like so I'll make time for people yeah but it, it's in your head though so you can like yeah program the schedule yes <laughs> yes pretty pretty much I try to like in the evening inevitably might um work out where there's more couples because that's when people are off, both off work yeah. but for me I have some standing like evening clients that are individuals that I will keep in that slots to mix up with the couples um, but really it is, it's, I'm fascinated by my job. So I want to know what happened since last week when I tuned in, Yeah. you know, so that in, and something I, I told them I would share, you know, in some aspect, but like I have a couple who had an unconsummated marriage because her sexual pain was so bad. She couldn't even put a tampon. It was terrible. And they came in and they waited for a couple minutes and then. They, they're like, well, you tell her. And I was like, uh-oh, what happened? They're like, we had sex. And I was ecstatic. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. jumping up. Like, I was just so happy for them because it was so, like, it was something they wanted so bad. And I love that. Like, I love celebrating my, the good aspects with my clients or their, their celebrations. And then I mourn their losses with them too. So it's a, it is, it's draining and it's exhausting, but I've always been like a, I'd rather load it very heavy and then relax the next day and kind of uh-huh. get through it. So, you know, Tuesdays is a joke in our house that, like, I've been gone one-seventh of my kids' lives. Because every two like, come hell or high water, I am at work on Tuesdays. Except, now this, I was just telling one of my clients yesterday, I was like, oh, Christmas and New Year's are on Tuesdays this year. Mm. So I don't know what I'm going to do because I only take off, like, one Tuesday a year when we're on vacation. But for the most part, I do, I like that. I don't, so I don't you, dread Tuesdays at all. But are you guys open on no, Tuesdays? No, 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 no. And I won't, I won't see anybody. I'll just, I'll probably like bounce it around. But I'm such a structured person that filling that, like a bunch of, it, like it that. throws that kind of stuff I do not recover well from. Like I, I will have, I mean, it's October and I'm already planning that because mm-hmm. That's a source of my anxiety is that routine because not just my routine, but everybody else's routine because I have clients I see every single week. And if I can't see them for three, two weeks, you know, for a three week stretch, that's a lot, um, especially around the holidays because that's when people oh, are yeah. the most stressed. A lot of issues. Is there, yeah. is that common seeing someone every week? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think it varies by insurance and their copays. Like if you're paying a five to $10 copay or no copay, you're more apt to come every week or twice a week. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you're paying 50 to to $100, that's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so are there, are there certain 
issues that you're very excited to deal with versus some type of client that you really dread having to see? Well, I'm a breast cancer survivor, so I, I love dealing with survivors. I don't, I mean, I feel bad, obviously, but I feel like I'm a, I'm a unique entity. Yeah, in you're in the club. Yeah, I'm in the club. <laughs> so that, that helps me. I do, um, I love sexual, like, stigma issues or people that are outliers of society, like the BDSM community or polyamorous relationships. Again, I selfishly, it's fascinating. So I love that part of it and I love to get into it and understand. Yeah. But also, like, I was... I met a new client who found me somewhere and on, on the web or something and I dropped just some basic terms and she was like, Oh my god, I'm so happy I don't have to educate you on this. Oh, yeah. stuff. Explain yes. and yeah. Yeah. And I just love that. Like I love working with sex positive people. I love working with college students because I think, you know, if anybody's at the at the heart of like evolution of the world, it's college students. So yeah. they're just so awesome and so knowledgeable um and just very interested in therapy and it's 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 again this like the stigma is gone with them yeah it's all starting to just become normal they they all talk about their therapist to everybody you know my therapist said this so i love i do love that but yeah those i i think like the the one of my clients always refers to some in the bdsm community she'll say like the the island of lost toys Mm -hmm. those are the people i love like i love when people feel like outliers or misfits in society and then they come in and i'm just i am like i'm interested and supportive and if they're different than me i love that um depressed people that are like that idea of like eeyore you know Mm -hmm. Those are very, those are tough ones for me because I'm obviously like, I'm a chat, I talk, I'm an anxious person. So people that are very quiet or very slow, I, it's, it's good for me. It's a good training Mm because I need to use silence sometimes. Um, But it's just not my same thought process. So it's a challenge. But I think a lot of time very depressed people are a challenge for every therapist because Yeah. Is there is there like a through line with those type of people? Do they all have something in common with that level of depression? Because I've I've obviously well met people yeah. like that. But I mean, is there something that works for that to help that personality? It's or... very slow change. So it took, I had a client one time who I sell twice a week, he was super depressed and it took about a year for him to even get, uh, wrap his head around the idea of medication. And, and this was with me, like, you know, I can't prescribe medication, but me trying to encourage him to get to a psychiatrist. Yeah. And so it, my belief, just like a lot of therapists is meeting them where they are. So I, even though the first like two weeks I was like, oh dude, you need medicate. Oh, you need meds. You need meds. You need meds. <laughs> I didn't say that. I just met him where he was. Was like sat with him, and would listen to him. And then I remember it was on this huge turning point because he, after a year, he opened up to the idea. A year and a half, he started taking medication. Then within you know a year of that, he was back. He was working because he he was unemployed out of college and he was working and he got a job. And it was awesome to see that change and to be there for that change. It yeah. was long and it was hard. But the payoff's got to be yes. great. 
yes. having to do that for so long. Yes, and, and, and just for him, because I think it's hard, like anybody, you see somebody's potential, and you want to just be like, oh, this is easy, I know what you can do, but that's not my job. My job is to say, like, what's going on, where do you want to be, how can I get you there? Yeah. So... Or use me to help you. You know, that's... So it's, it's it's rewarding, but it is, you know, those ones. Some In couples, sometimes you have people that are in couples that you know they either shouldn't be together or it's it diminishing returns. But my job is not to, to say, oh, you know, you should do it, get divorced. Because that's not about me. If they want to stay with that person... But I imagine yeah. there's certain people that it's like, it's obvious this is not going to work out long term mm-hmm. and you have to see them anyway. Yeah. So what's your thought process in there? Like, what do you, how do you handle that? When they don't want to, what do you mean? When, when they like are obviously not a good match, like they, they cannot sustain a relationship. Oh yeah. In the way that they're, they are. Mm-hmm. And well, it's, it's apparent they need to get a divorce, but you can't say that obviously. Yeah. So, so I, like, oh, my line is always, how's this working for you? So I keep going back okay. to, well, how's this working for you? What is your goal? Because a lot of times I, I will leave and think, oh, they shouldn't be together or how are they doing this? But And that's sometimes what I'll say is I'll say, I just, you know, I go home and I think, how are you doing this every day? This seems like a struggle for the two of you. Or yeah. the other line I'll use is I'm working harder for your marriage than you are. You know, and that, <laughs> yeah. and that works a lot of times is, why am you're in or and or they're coming from say they drive an hour to get to me an hour in therapy and an hour to drive back so you're wasting not wasting you're spending three hours on a stranger basically to pay a stranger to talk about your marriage and then you're spending all those hours when you get home not doing anything that we talk about yeah so i'm not gonna fire them and say this is not helpful but i will say what do you what do we want out of this? Yeah, what's the end? Yeah, and I use so the I use a ton of, of analogies, like a lot of us do, and I always use couples therapy. The analogy is Weight Watchers. Like you go into Weight Watchers, talk about what you should eat, you get on the scale, and if you walk out of a meeting and get a milkshake and a basket of wings, yeah, then w- what's the point? Exactly. So I, but I understand I would never kick somebody out of Weight Watchers. I'd be like, okay, yeah, like, come on down. keep coming back. You know, it's like AA, just keep coming back. So that's kind of my mentality. So advice for someone who wants to kind of go down this avenue. To be a therapist? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's, we need more people. We need people that are curious. We need people that are relatable and supportive. Um, that are sex positive, especially mm-hmm. in this right now. Um, I think that the world is becoming very anxiety provoking. Like yes. social media has created a ton of anxiety. I think it's dividing a lot of people. It's, it's polarizing. It's causing a lot of problems. It's polarizing couples. It's polarizing families. Um, all of those things. So to have somebody that's unbiased, you know, that you can dump all these things onto and then just leave is glorious. So if you can... Go to school and look into it. There's a lot of different options. You know, the world needs us. So <laughs> that's what I would say. I would say, and you don't have to be, you know, again, like I was not a perfect student. I almost failed out of undergrad. I actually graduated, you know, magna cum, not whatever, summa cum laude in graduate school. But, you know, you don't, it's, you just have to be curious. You have to be interested in 
to get your license and to do all this stuff, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of work to get through the, the firewalls that exist. Yeah. Um, but it's worth it. And to be a contractor, like for me, it's, it's great because I can, you know, work, miss when I need to miss for the kids and I can make up hours and all of those things. It's really great. And it, you know, talking about where I came from compared to now, like I get to work with normal people with nor or typical people, I should say normal is a dirty word, but typical people with typical problems and then ones that have really severe problems. So I get a, a spectrum. It's not, I'm yeah. not in a box with, I'm not married to certain levels of people. Yeah. You, you get a nice, yeah. So nice it's very, and, and like I, the reason we talked about this whole podcast in the beginning is I just love hearing about people's jobs too. Yeah. Because jobs, I mean, that's another thing is like, it's amazing to me when people come to me who are doctors or lawyers or, you know, whatever, like I have a lot of professors that will come to me and they ask me work questions and I think you're a PhD in (laughs) in physics. Like, why are you asking me questions? But really it's just basic human communication questions that they're asking like, how do I approach this at work? How do I approach this? And I just love, I get kind of geeked out by it. And then I have to like settle that, you know, kind of settle that down and say like, oh, let me think. And I just love that. It gives me permission to help somebody. Um, So it's kind of like I get to get paid for something that I just honestly love doing. So if you're like as much as a a geek like that, then it's great. Some people, I mean, my my husband thinks my job is a nightmare. Like he could (laughs) never do it. He's an introvert. He does not understand why I would ever want to do this. I mean, I imagine yeah. it takes a certain kind of personality. Yeah. But then again, I'm here interviewing you for yeah. this for absolutely no money. I'm yeah. Just, I'm just genuinely yes. curious about yes. people's jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay, I think that's pretty solid advice. Yeah. Do you have any any stories you want to add? Anything you want to just pepper in there at the end? Um, I'm trying to think. We like just something that comes to mind. Something you tell. I always party. tell people whenever people ask for stories. I do like a slot machine of, I mix the location, the gender, and the yeah, problem just, up so that it's trying to be. as vague as possible. But, um, yeah, I have, uh, I, I'm trying to think, like I went to, I'm trying to think if I should do like a sex story or a couple story. Um, one of the, the things that's interesting is, I get to like educate people on like different things I hear about, so like sex clubs and different things like that. Yeah. But the one story I'll, I'll tell that this is funny is because it, it's old enough, and I think that everything's good. Is that I had a client who his partner broke up with them very quickly, and she was devastated. So she came in in her jammies and she was just crying and she said, I just wish there was like a rebound website or something. And I said, oh yeah, like Ashley Madison. And I just said it just like that. And she's like, what was that? And I said, nothing. No, 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 nothing. Don't know. Just something I heard is stupid. She comes back the next week. She said, oh, I joined Ashley Madison and I had sex with five guys last week. Wow. I was like, oh my God, I didn't say that. She said, oh, no, 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 it wasn't for you. But it did, it, it helped me feel re- like a rebound. I was like, okay. Yeah. So there's that. There's, um, I've had fetish people that you would see in a store and you would never think there was anything about them mm-hmm. that have brought me like props. <clears throat> so my husband loves to tell the story of this guy who 
brought me a body bag and a bunch of other <laughs> mummification kind of kinky stuff. And he told me, yeah, take as many pictures as you want. So I did that. And it was really cool. And that idea. But then he leaves with a stuffle bag and you'd be like, hey, there's your average grandpa leaving work. Yeah. You know? So like those kind of things. And uh, I was showing pictures to my one client last night of this um, a sex club in Pittsburgh. That, like those kind of things that are just fascinating. Yeah. Um, and then I've just had like... I mean, I, get, I, I was thinking of that, like, oh, he's going to ask me for a story. and I. <laughs> you don't have to give yeah. one. I'm just, I'm just yeah, trying Yeah, but there's just a lot. I have, like, a lot. a lot of anecdotes. Like, I do a lot of, that's one of the, again, like, what works is I've seen so many clients, so a lot of times I'll just give stories of other clients to clients, like, I've had this and this has worked. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have the, like, I know I have people that were, like, ER physicians that they'll say, like, oh, I pulled this thing out of somebody's butt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a client who went to a, a haunted house recently and she gave me permission. She told me to tell the story. <clears throat> she had medicinal marijuana in her bag and she was so afraid because they do bag checks there that she was so worried about her medicinal marijuana that she forgot that she had a butt plug in her bag also. <laughs> yeah. So when they went through her bag, luckily they didn't find it, but she thought she came in she's like, I was so worried about the medicinal marijuana that I totally forgot to tell them that I have a butt plug and they probably <laughs> had no idea what it was. Uh, yeah. Or maybe they did. Or maybe they yeah, did. They, 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 yeah. They just didn't care. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, there's like those kind of little ones, but yeah, no, I know. Good. I'm sure my, my kids would be like, did you tell them this one? Like they know. Well, that's the other thing I've been doing lately because I've been getting a lot of people uh, reaching out to me like after I post episodes and they're like, can we do like a follow-up where I talk about this? And yeah, so there's always that. Yeah. Um, So let's get into some of the fun stuff. Okay. Um, Let's see. You said breakfast are usually bagel person, right? That covers that. Um, What's your biggest fear? My biggest fear is being embarrassed, I think, or being found out. Like, is it, I have I have a nice dose of imposter syndrome. Oh, okay. So, I I am very transparent. Like, I'll tell clients. Um, like, I had a client recently who's a MD, and I had said, you know, I I'm just intimidated because I didn't go to Harvard or Yale. Like, I have a lot of clients that went to Ivy League schools. Yeah. I see a lot of CMU people. So, like, that is probably like my biggest fear is. Being found out in some way or just being discredited and not that I'm in a position to be discredited, but just that. But it seems like something that would be in the back of your head. Yeah, because I'm a if... poor kid. Not, you know, not poor, poor, but like I was a, grew up in a blue collar town and wasn't fancy education and, you know, didn't have all those things. And every once in a while, a, a client will say something like, um, you know, that they're like, oh, is that your Land Rover outside? <laughs> talking about whenever ever you know like that kind of stuff where i just think oh i'm not as good as that so i do have that and i don't know if that's it's probably like class i have some classism you know where i i don't want to be like a douchebag and that's my biggest fear is being that way so i think you got a nice dose of of the full spectrum in your job history yeah um what movie do you think you've seen the most the movie I've seen the most is Stuck on You, I think. That, I don't really? know why. I've watched it so many <laughs> no, times. No, that's why I love to ask that question. Cause... It's a random one. That or Groundhog Day, because I, like, absolutely love it, and I can't not watch it. 
Um, I always love love to say some. I want to sound like educated and say like, oh, I really love the English patient. Well, that's why I ask what you've seen the most yeah. and not what's your favorite movie. Yeah, and really, like Empire Strikes Back is all you know my favorite, but I don't know if that's true anymore. <laughs> exactly, but honestly, people think like, about it too but much. Stuff on you. I don't know what it was. I had postpartum blues. I had prepartum blues. Like when I was pregnant, I had yeah. a lot of like anxiety and fear, and for some reason that movie just kept it like distracting enough yeah so it's kind of like in in as a tv show i watch the office over and over again and that's something (laughs) parks and rec in the office i just kind of go through them and there's something like safe and predictable and i don't know it's it's kind of like that but yeah stuck on you i love that good answer yeah what um what's the best advice you ever got um my mother told me i remember you know I'm, i'm i'm a people pleaser and I remember coming home from school one day when I was like an eighth, my daughter's age. And I was like, why doesn't this person like me? And she said, you know what? Some people are just assholes. <laughs> and it's not like rocket, like, again, it's not some big piece of advice. But I think that a lot where I'm yeah. like, some people are just assholes. Like, exactly. you know, and I, why do I want to be, why do I want to impress an asshole? They're assholes. Exactly. So it's like that, you know. Yeah, there's no winning some people over. Yeah. Just gotta, and that, and my mom assholes. probably doesn't even remember saying that to me. But it was just so, it was one of those moments where it was like, she was probably so exhausted to say something like yeah. wise that she was like, some people yeah. are just assholes. And I was like, yeah. Okay. And something like that can be that profound. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's awesome. You have a, a favorite candy? You have any candy in the world? You get one, what are you getting? Um, Cadbury Dairy Milk is the best thing ever. All right. Very yeah. specific. Yeah. Uh, do you have a childhood hero? childhood hero i wrote to bill clinton when i was in when i was a kid um did you get a response i did i did my dad claims that it was really not him because he was not a clinton fan but um no not i mean not i not one that like really went in my mind i remember my mom when my mom was sick my mom had cancer three times and when the second time she had cancer she had bone cancer it was really bad and she was in the hospital for a lot of the times so I'd go to the guidance counselor, and that was kind of my first peek into like therapy. Yeah. And I just thought, I love this. I want to do this. Like I want to be someone that helps people. So just that, like it's always it hasn't been one figure. It's been multiple kind yeah. of figures. But that, that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what kind of soap do you use? Uh, Irish Spring. Okay. Usually. That's good. Um, if uh, if you could give your eighteen year old self a thousand dollars, what do you think she'd do with it? Um, I don't, I think she would probably buy everybody beer and dinner because that's what I would do in college. I was the kid who would get a credit card and buy everybody dinner because it was free money Yeah. and then take like three bucks from everybody just because I was an idiot. So that's what I would do. I, and now, even now, like we, my husband and I always get into fights about, we get into speculation fights about money. Mm-hmm. So if we win the lottery, I always think like I would get an all-inclusive resort and bring everybody I know there for like a month. Yeah. He does not like that. <laughs> what would he do? He would invest it or do something boring. Like he would still <laughs> he would still travel or do something. Like he would buy property and you know exciting stuff. I don't I don't care. Like I mm-hmm. I care about those things obviously, but I just want to have fun with people. Like, yeah. That's that would be my like I. 
Well, let's, let's dial it back a little bit and let's just say you get a thousand dollars right now. Yeah. As you can't really get every one of a yeah, yeah. resort oh, yeah, 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 yeah. a thousand bucks, but it's a thousand bucks, and you just have you spend, have it. Yeah. Just do whatever you want with it. What would you yeah, do? Yeah, I'd be like, let's go, let's all go out to Mad Max. I'd have twenty people at Mad Max, <laughs> endless drinks, whatever. Like, yeah. it's not even endless drinks for a thousand dollars, but no, yeah, but I like yeah. it. I like it. Um, yeah. uh, spicy, not spicy. 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 All right. Um, what's the hardest time you ever laughed. The hardest time. This is another one I stole from Pete Holmes. I just oh, really love this. Uh, I love this one. question. Um, I'm trying to. I've laughed in almost. I've laughed and peed myself in the recent like last six months. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think when I laughed. I la. I was leaving grad school one time with my friends, who's not a therapist now, and she, we were walking out. And she, it was like winter and she did one of those comic book falls. <laughs> like she flew up into the air and fell flat on her face. And as soon as I knew she was okay, I just stood there just dying. <laughs> I was dying. And then people were walking by and I'm like, did you see that? Did yeah. you see that? Like, cause it was just like that. I remember that being like a distinct, like folly that I like totally laughed at. Mm-hmm. Um, other times, like, my husband and I have just said, we've either said something or the kids have said something that's mean or funny, and we just laugh a lot. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's all it takes. Yeah. But that's good. That's very yeah. good. Uh, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Um, I hope I'm still alive, because I'm a mm-hmm. cancer survivor, so mm-hmm. that's always my... It's a morbid truth, but that is that yeah. is the truth. Um, and I, I hope that we'll be traveling more because our kids will be in college by then. Okay. So that would be my goal is to be, and to own two of the practices I work at. Okay. So yeah. those are pretty solid goals. Pretty solid goals. I like that. What kind of toothpaste do you use? Sensodyne. Cause I get, um, like ulcers mm-hmm. from other. Okay. Uh, what's something you wish you learned earlier? I wish I learned to like study and actually pay attention, like, those kind of skills that I did not learn at Shaler. Yeah. So just being, because um, I would have been a better student. Maybe, not that I regret going to Pitt, I love Pitt, but um, I, that kind of, I, I think I would have had a, a better help and better yeah. grades. And wouldn't have struggled as much as I struggled. Yeah, would be helpful. Yeah. Um, you have a cocktail preference? Gin and tonic. Gin and tonic. Classic. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Um, anything you would change about yourself? Um, I, I wish I wasn't so worried about what people thought of me or that if people like me, I'm, I'm a FOMO. One of my colleagues who's in under 30 diagnosed me as a FOMO. And I, Mm -hmm. as soon as I heard that, and I I obviously didn't know what it was at first, then I looked it up and I was like, "Uh, that's me. That's the diagnosis. (laughs) Like I, I look at Facebook pictures of my friends with other friends and I'm jealous. Like I, I think that's a legitimate thing for a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And, and I just wish that like my core wasn't like, I, I intellectually know it's stupid and I should be jealous and I should be happy. And I am, but I wish that my first instinct wasn't like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, like that kind of missing out. I just, I wish I didn't feel that way. No, I, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, let's see. If you could do anything for a living, what would you do? Like literally anything. You'd snap your fingers and be that tomorrow. Um, 
honestly, like, I really love what I do. I'd love to not deal with insurance. <laughs> so, um, but I, I'd love to just, I'd love to, what, well, I guess I would, I'd love to be a fly on the wall, but that's not really a living. <laughs> um, I think I'd like to be a psychiatrist. Like, if I could really, that would be, that would, I'd love that. The, mm-hmm. the, the medical part and the, the therapy part, not just like prescribing meds, but that's, yeah. I've always been more... fascinated with that, like the neuroscience part of it and yeah. All right. Sounds pretty fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that wraps it up. Okay. Thanks for doing this. Thanks. That's all right.